glad to be back in meeting, looking forward to being able to sing again, kind of babying my throat, which comes and goes. We have been, um, well, been going through Second Peter, but we've also going through Ephesians, and we've stopped for a while on. Uh, I think it's verse twelve in chapter one. No, verse 13, sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Sean was by last night, he was poking fun at me, said we should be in chapter 6 in a couple of years. But I don't know, we hope, uh, hope we can... Cover the scriptures um, profitably for us, effectively, and without it becoming uh, mundane. It's a song sheet of that. We've looked at the um, the fact that the Holy Spirit is promised, right? We looked at some of the promises uh, through uh, Mo- from Moses, through uh, right through to um, Joel. Right, looked at Isaiah, the various. I want to kick this over. The uh, the various um, <clears throat> promises of God that He would give His Holy Spirit to His people. Uh, so we looked at that, the promise. We looked at the seal. We defined the seal, and, you know, the stamp, the signet, right, the image with a coin. Whose image and superscription is this? We had the image of Caesar and a, a writing of Caesar's name stamped on a coin. And um, this, the king's seal, right, uh, Haman and... Um, Mordecai with King Ahasuerus's seal. It's the representation of the king. It expressed the king's authority. This document, that's from the king. It has his seal on it. It expresses ownership. Uh, we looked at Ezekiel's um, prophecy. And John, of course, the Spirit of God, bringing all of the Old Testament prophecies together in the book of the Revelation. But Ezekiel's prophecy where before judgment, the angel of God went and marked the um, servants of God in their foreheads. And so there's this identification that preserves from judgment. All these things, you were sealed. Those that trusted in Christ. Those that see the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Slain from me and recognize their need of a savior and trust in him with all the heart God seals such a one with his Holy Spirit uh, promised all today this morning 
remember just a, you know, a few moments of review. I want to look at the Holy Spirit. His person, his purpose, and our response and responsibility. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, a uh, bit of review there and some of those things. We'd, yeah, seal the mark how... Uh, how significant it is. And you think even of, of a remnant. Elijah was confronted with that um, by God. I've reserved 7,000, you know, all the knees that haven't bowed to Baal. And uh, God had marked out his remnant. And that, those are the believers in this day. Jew and Gentile. The Jew first and also the Gentile. <clears throat> Sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. The promised Holy Ghost. And what of what do we speak when we speak about the Holy Spirit of God? And uh, it's important to understand. Um, the most important thing is to have reality. But it's also good to be able to understand and explain uh, reality, right? You think of a little baby. Little baby doesn't um, can't articulate anything, doesn't have a lot of understanding, but they know their mother's milk, and they take to it, and they live, and they know the love of their mother, um, and that I think is much better than a loveless uh, intellectual who can tell you all of the chemical compositions of mother's milk, but has no love in them. You get the the point. It's <laughs> But it's useful for the mom to have understanding. And, um, you know, we learn about the um, immune system and antibodies that are, um, it just feels almost like a TV preacher to have something in your hand to drink while you're preaching. It just really feels wrong. But I do need it so I don't um, start hacking. <clears throat> It's good to understand those things. Yeah, the immune system, all of those things. Understanding is good. The Lord Jesus said in uh, John chapter 4, in speaking on this uh, very, very subject. <clears throat> we want to talk about God this morning. This woman by the well, we know the story, we don't need to uh, to break in, or we can break into the story. We don't need to go over the whole thing. The woman says to, him, to the Lord Jesus, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say, that is you Jews, ye being plural, ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship... Ye know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now... That is a, um, there's just no way, no good way to do this here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> uh, 
That's a, a challenging thing to think about. Because if we're saying that God himself is a spirit, then how does he have a spirit? You know, What's the Holy Spirit? If all of God is a spirit. And I hope that we can understand some of those things further this morning. Um, I'm amazed at those people that can just casually think that they understand uh, God and can explain God like they could explain a piece of furniture or something. Um, especially men. Men don't really understand their wives uh, fully. They can live with them for decades and they still don't understand. They'll say, I, I will never understand women. And then they want to tell you everything they think there is to know about God. And I'm just amazed at the arrogance of men. We are talking about the being of beings that is vaster than everything in the universe. We can't fully understand atoms. They keep changing what they think atoms look like and are. The the boundaries of space. (laughs) How everything works. Gravity, the planets, stars. Everything is just mind-boggling in every direction. And God is more than all of that put together. And we think we're going to explain God in a sentence or an hour or a lifetime. Really? I think it's, it's, um, it's absurd. But he has enabled us to understand some things and to, most important of all, to know him. God is a spirit. I was looking at that uh, English word uh, yesterday. Again, definition, you know. Uh, We know that the the Hebrew word and the Greek word from which we, well, spirit comes from Latin. But the concept has to do with wind and breath. You see that most vividly in Ezekiel chapter 37. We could look at that uh, briefly. Ezekiel chapter 37. This is a great cup holder. Oh, thank you so much, brother. Well, that's very kind. Appreciate that. Maybe put it a little more level. Thank you so much. Um, Ezekiel chapter 37 a great uh, salvation prophecy chapters 36 and 37 they address the same basic thing in different ways new covenant and uh, Ezekiel was told to prophesy prophesy unto the wind Ezekiel 37 verse 9 Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Remember the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit descended upon The disciples, there came a sound as of a mighty rushing wind. Right? Uh, We, um, even the word uh, pneumatic, right? From the, the, uh, that Greek word pneuma. Wind, air tools, pneumatic tools, right? Pneuma, spirit, breath, the breath of God. God breathed into Adam the breath of life and he became a living soul. These things, you know, when we think about the Spirit of God or the Spirit within is like breathing. It's so intimate and it's so essential and integral to living. Spirit of God. 
um, English definitions, you know, the animating life force of a person. There, there are many different definitions. You know, we talk about that's the spirit and so on. We use the word loosely. But here, the Lord Jesus says, God is a spirit. And at the very least, at a surface level, we can understand then that God is non-material. Right? Forgive me, a little bit of schooling, children. You're all awake, you're loving your science classes. You know, in physics, there's matter and energy. That's basically the universe, right? Matter is stuff, something solid. I mean, it could be gas, but particles. And then energy is, you know, things like heat and so on. That's the the universe. And so when we talk about non-material, light would be non-material. It's energy. It's real. It's powerful. But it's not something you can touch. And God is, Paul describes God as invisible. He's real, powerful. It's a different realm. It's not a flesh and blood realm. God is a spirit. He doesn't want a temple, this building here, or the grand cathedrals that men make. Most high, Paul preached this to the heathen. He's not worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. We don't go to a building to perform rituals to worship God. This is what the Lord Jesus is introducing, right? The hour cometh and now is when the real worshipers. When he says true, he doesn't mean sincere worshipers. We can be sincere and sincerely wrong. He means the real. Those that are actually worshiping are not going to be worshiping in this mountain nor in the temple at Jerusalem. This was revolutionary. The Jews, the very disciples of the Lord Jesus, were expecting that the worship of God would be in the physical temple. Master, see what manner of buildings are here. Right up until shortly before the crucifixion, they still have their mind on the outward glory. Even after the resurrection, Lord, will thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Taken up with the visible, tangible glory, and even in Christendom, men have built these massive cathedrals, resplendent with physical beauty, you know, and stained glass and golden chalices, and then they want to kind of carve in some Old Testament stuff with incense, and uh, completely wrong. Jesus said, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in reality. It's an inward thing. It's a non-material. You can't touch. You can't see. But real. Electricity. I remember working with a a very... Well, I mustn't get into those... But he was a hot-tempered young man. Uh, I was a younger man. This is my very young 20s. And I had the misfortune of being made the foreman of a shop. About four young guys... Uh, they weren't Christians. I was still an apprentice, technically. I made the foreman. I'll spare you. And this young man was, was hot-tempered and uh, challenging to supervise. You know, Imagine being young and being a supervisor of a bunch of you know, egotistical guys. Uh, you know, it's a bit repetitious, but anyway. And you're the youngest to boot. You know, Very challenging. 
But um, he had tried a few trades, and now he was trying woodwork. And uh, yeah, he had done, I think he, he had done gas or something. He, and he said, I'm staying away from electrical. You can't see it, you can't smell it, and it's always there. And it's dangerous. Right? It's powerful. You can't touch it. I mean, when it touches you, you'll know. But uh, you can't see it, smell it. It's powerful, real. God is a spirit. And the worship of God is real and powerful. And, in this sense, tangible. You know when you're in contact with electricity. And you'll know when you're in contact with God. Um, and yet, there's times when uh, you've got electricity or electricity going on in our brains all the time, even now. And we're not necessarily aware of that, but it enables us to think and feel. And so it is with God, so often the Christian may not be aware of the inner workings of God, but it is, are those inner workings that cause you to be the wonderful Christian person that you are, even when you don't consciously feel that, right? You don't feel all the little bing, bing, electric stuff going off in your brains right now, do you? But they're making us think, right? And how much more um, with God. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So how then do we distinguish between that? The Lord Jesus would say, the words that I speak unto you are spirit and life. What then are we speaking of when we think of the Holy Spirit? Let's... Uh, let's some of this may be a bit um, abstract or, you know, theoretical, but it's important, brethren, to have a fundamental understanding of God. Um, one of the challenges that Christians face today is the accusation from Jews and Muslims that we are not, that we worship several gods. Or that we are idolaters because we worship Jesus. And, and all of these things, and there is a failure to properly understand um, the nature of God. And it's a failure on our part as Christians to properly understand and properly explain. And the scriptures do help us with that. I'll say um, we believe with Paul that, uh, and with the psalmist right, that um, the invisible things of God are understood by the things that are made. Do you all agree with that? Even his eternal power and Godhead. And I would submit that the, and this idea is not original to me, not at all. It's very ancient understanding. That the very sun that we see is a picture of God. So much so that ignorant people have worshipped the sun. And I think there are still people on earth that worship the sun. It's hard to imagine. It's true. Let's look at it. The sun is three but one. All right? There is the actual globe. That, it looks like a disc, but it's three-dimensional. Right? It's a sphere. The sun. We see it. Maybe not so much on a day like today, but it's there. This huge ball. Right? That's the actual sun. And then there's the light that that sun disperses everywhere throughout our solar system. Go outside. The light, it's, it's everywhere. 
And it is the very light of the sun that enables us to see it. If there was, if the sun did not, if the sun was not light or did not emit light, it would be there, but we couldn't see it. It would still be everything it is. We just couldn't see it. You with me on that? So that the very visible thing that we see, we see because of its light. Right there at its surface, if I can use the word surface about the sun. I don't think people still understand what the sun is. In the days of Socrates, I think about 500 years before Christ, some floated the hypothesis that the sun was not a god, it was a mass of stone. Scientists have moved on in their theories. I think they think it's some kind of gas, but again, they're not really sure. Last I knew, maybe they think they figured it all out now. It's a mysterious thing, but it's, it's a globe there. Looks smaller than the earth from this distance, but it's huge. It's massive. And we can only see it. The visible thing that we see is the light. And it's the same light that, you know, we look through the window. It enables us to see. It dispels the darkness. And as we turn our gaze toward the actual sun, the thing that we see is the light of the sun. So we go outside and we experience the light that the sun brings and it lets us see everything clearly. And then as we look toward it, and children, don't be doing this because it will hurt your eyes, we actually see it. The visible thing that we see is the light. And we see what's there and we feel the heat. And all of that heat is there at the sun and it comes with the light everywhere throughout the universe. We can see it, we can feel it, and yet there it is. We see through its illumination everything around us. We can see its existence through the light. We feel its warmth and yet there it is and yet it's here. Its light is here and its light's right on the surface and everywhere in between. And so is its warmth. And yet the actual sun itself is there. The, the, the globe of the sun is the source of all of the light and the heat. You, you follow this concept? And that is a picture for us of God. The Father, which art in heaven. And the visible part of God, if I can put it that way, is what the man, Jesus Christ. He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. To, to know God, who He is, what He is like, how He thinks, how He feels. That is manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. You and I get to see God by seeing Christ Jesus. That's what John, John wrote oh, in, uh, in his first epistle. Let's look at that. Chapter 1 of 1 John. That which was from the beginning... Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. We've seen, we've touched that eternal life, Jesus Christ. He'd say to the disciples, and we, we see it in John, uh, where we are further ahead, where we're headed into chapter 14, I think it is. 
I think it's Philip that says, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. I think so. Yes, Philip, verse 8 of chapter 14 of John. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. Jesus said, saith unto him, have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. He's the very shape, the light that you can see, as it were, on the sun. The thing that you see, it's a light. Jesus is the visible expression of God. And he clothed himself This is the word that was with God. Imagine, just, it's difficult to do, but imagine if the sun had no light. It would be there by itself, and you would have no knowledge of it. You wouldn't understand the things that you feel. And so so much so, the light is such an incredible thing that the light of the sun is almost like a, a distinct being, and yet it's not. It's the sun. And this gives us a small picture into how to distinguish between the Father and the Son. The, the old theologians referred to the Father as the Fons Divinatus. That's the Latin, sounds really you know, mysterious and so on. The divine fountain. The, the source, right? Paul touches on this in his letter to the Corinthians on the head covering. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The head of every man is Christ. The head of Christ is God. And the head of the man is the woman. I probably botched the order. The head of Christ is God. He's the source. He's the he's a authority. But the, from the Father, the Son. And the Holy Spirit. It's one God. This is the expression and manifestation of God. Um, we'll, we'll look at some other passages as we consider this. And looking at what he has made. He made a son. God is light. Remember that passage of scripture? God is light. Is that right? We all. God is light. He made a great light to rule the day. He shows us a bit of himself. There, yet here. In heaven, yet right here on earth with us. Helps in our understanding how we contemplate that. And if we think just that physical thing that he has made, it's a bit of a challenge to try and work that all out. How much more is the divine? And again, to those men that think they understand God and your Christian notion of three and one is too complicated. We just believe in one God. I'm saying, and you still don't understand your wife, right? But you're just going to tell me everything there is to know about God, just like that. Like, really? Really? A bit of humility, please. I think that our Creator has made a visual aid that demonstrates that He is three yet one. <laughs> and it doesn't need a lot of argument. John chapter 1. We're coming to this point this morning. The Holy Spirit. His person. And then his purpose. Well to understand a little bit of the Holy Spirit. 
we need to have some understanding of God. Because the Spirit of God is God himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. In the beginning was the word. Right? You say, well, that's Jesus. All right. Okay. Good. Well, let's look at um, let's look at Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And we remember that Paul said that God created all things, all things through Jesus Christ. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. The word, let there be light. And there was light. The Spirit of God upon the face of the deep. There you have God. Is there, is there a... <laughs> the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of man. It's part of the man. It's not a separate being. It's part of the man. I think we are heading into the Psalms in a bit. <clears throat> in fact, that's, we're going into the Psalms next. <clears throat> what we're looking at, brethren, is when we talk about God giving us his Holy Spirit. God is giving us himself. Himself. You wanted to look at Psalm 36, brother? I'm going into Psalm 139 after that, but we can look at that one. For with thee is the fountain of light, and in thy light shall we see light. That's a reference there to the sun. Some have pointed out, <clears throat> I mean that, that ties in with our reference to the sun, right? Some have pointed out that you can only really see and know and understand anything by the light of the Spirit of God. In thy light shall we see light. It exactly illustrates that. Psalm 139, thank you brother. Psalm 139. <clears throat> So, <clears throat> Whither, verse 7, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. He goes on. <clears throat> He's talking about what uh, 
theologians call the omnipresence of God, everywhere presence. And I would submit again, brethren, that in the same way, Jesus yet didn't say, Our Father, which art right here in the room with us right now. We weren't taught to pray like that. And I would caution everyone, don't pray and don't think like that. One Christian writer uh, wisely cautioned, if you pray to the God in your room, you will get answered by the God in your room. And it's not the God of heaven. It's the God of earth. We'll look at that a bit later. Jesus taught us to pray to our Father in heaven. So, and yet, again, if you look up to the sun in heaven, and yet the light of the sun is omnipresent. And it's that sense that the psalmist captures. Where am I going to hide from God? He's everywhere. The Spirit of the Lord sent forth into all the earth. That's another passage we'll look at. Uh, well, I, I just quoted Luke chapter 11, and so let's, uh, let's turn there on our way to, to the book of the Revelation. And make this point and move on. Right, um, said unto them, 11, verse, uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 2, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. As in heaven, so in earth. One day I hope to teach on the disciples' prayer as the Lord taught them. Verses 11 to 13. And he talks about asking the Holy Spirit. We'll come back to that. Our Father, which art in heaven. Jesus taught us to say, Our Father, Which art in heaven. It's an upward look. The Holy Spirit that God gives to his children. Moves them to look upward to God. In our prayers. That's very important. There are counterfeit experiences. There are counterfeit spirits. And they are very. They are more easily experienced by people. Who meditate on the presence of God in the room with them. They get a false spirit and a false presence. The Lord Jesus, God himself manifest in the flesh, looked up to heaven when he prayed. Isn't that right? And uh, that is part of the work of the Holy Spirit. He directs our thoughts and our prayers out of ourselves, beyond this earth, into the heavens above. I realize it's somewhat pictorial, you know, this universe that is ever expanding in every direction. But still, we live, we look up, we don't think about people on Australia with their feet pointing at ours. We live that way and that's a safe way to think of it. Turn, if you will, to the book of the Revelation, chapter 4. Actually, I think, uh, I think we start in chapter 1. No, we start in chapter 4 and then we'll go back to chapter 1. Uh, and chapter 5. I think we'll do chapter 4, 5, and 1. <clears throat> John, in verse 1, hears a, a trumpet talking, a voice, like a trumpet, said, Come up hither. Verse 2, And immediately I was in the Spirit. And, <clears throat> behold, A throne was set in heaven, 
And one sat on the throne. Someone sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Chapter 5. And verse 6, and I beheld, and lo, a lamb, excuse me, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. Chapter 1, verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him, which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Brethren, here we have another picture of God. We see one sat upon the throne, and who is that? It's God, the Father. And manifest, radiating from him, as you were, the seven spirits of God. We've looked at that before there in Isaiah. Oh, is it chapter 61 or 66? Um, The spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom and counsel and might and of the fear of the Lord. Which one? Chapter 11. Oh, yes, I do always go there. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. I think that's chapter 61 or something. Chapter 11. The seven spirits of God. There are not seven different spirits per se. But they are the the sevenfold expression of the spirit. You have this picture of God. God is speaking to us in these uh, vivid visions to describe himself. Like you try and explain concepts to a little child, right? You know, you try and explain these blocks and so on. To try and bring it down to their level. And that's what these visions are. God Revealing himself as to little children in picture form. The, bril- the most brilliant human is, is but like a babe to God. In understanding he has to condescend and communicate in these visions. Seven lamps of fire burning before the throne which are the seven spirits. Look and I beheld in the midst of the throne. So <laughs> you understand the picture. You have, we have this throne and one sat on the throne. And then around about the throne, you got the four beasts. And the four of them represent, they are a fourfold picture of Christ. The lion, the calf or ox, the man, and uh, the eagle, right? You have the four gospels. Matthew, the lion of Judah. Mark, the servant of the Lord. Ox is a beast of burden. Luke, the man Christ Jesus. And John, the heavenly one, the eagle. Eagles are incredible creatures God has made. They they can fly straight into the sun. I don't mean literally 
across the galaxy and, or the universe and get there or the, the solar system. But they can look at the sun. There's a film that comes over their eyes and so their eyes are not damaged. They can gaze at the sun and fly straight at it. I think it's the only one of God's creatures that can do that. It's a picture of Christ as this fourfold picture. But they're around the throne. And then you have the elders in a 24 circle around, right? 24 seat circle around. In the midst of the throne, right in the center And remember, there's one sitting on this throne. In the center of that one sitting on the throne is the Lamb. You have right before this one are His seven spirits, so to speak. You see the divine fountain, the Father. In the midst of Him is the Lamb that took away the sin of the world. Paul would write about Onesimus, a, a, a Christian convert that was either one to Christ through him or one back to Christ through him, depending on whether Onesimus was already converted and severely backslidden when he fled from Philemon, or whether he fled as an unbeliever and got saved through his fellow prisonship with Paul, or meeting Paul in any case. Paul said, sends him back to Philemon and said, Receive him therefore, that is mine own bowels. This union of affection, well, how much more so When we talk about the Lamb of God. You see he's in the midst of the throne. There's already one sat in the throne. So again it's a picture that when we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about God himself. Coming to earth. And taking our sins. This is what Paul wrote in chapter. can keep our fingers there if we want. In chapter 20 of the book of Acts. Paul's writing. Oh, you don't have to turn. You can stay there. But Paul's, Paul's speaking, rather. Luke's recording to this el- the, the group of elders. Take heed, verse 28, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Not the blood of an angel. Certainly not the blood of bulls and goats. Not the blood of a human body that he just kind of moved around like a robot. It was his own blood. And this is what God is expressing to us. This is why he could say, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. The divine fountain. The light of the world. We see Jesus. And without, I trust, stretching the metaphor that God has made for us, the warmth of the spirit that we feel. You're moved. You're moved by heat. Light illuminates your understanding, gives you knowledge, but heat moves you one way or another. It gets too hot in here, everyone's going outside we got a roaring fire going. It's not the light that would move us out. It would be the heat. The heat, uh, the heat will get you comfortable, relaxed. Heat's wonderful. The, I think it's one of Aesop's fables. That um, the, the sun and the wind. The, the wind wagered or challenged the sun to a duel about who could be more powerful. And he picked a, a, a passerby or a man walking with his cloak. And the wind said... I'm more powerful than you. And I think, I don't remember the exact story. The the son uh, said, well, see if you can get that coat off that man. And the wind went fierce at him and he clung to his coat and flapped and the man clung with all his might. 
And by the time the wind was done with him, he was still hanging on, battered and bruised and tattered, and his coat even ripped, but clinging to it for all his worth. And the son said, let me have a go. And he just shined warmly on the man. And before long, the man just took off his coat and enjoyed the warmth of the sun, you see. A fable, you might say, but he's referring to something God has made and that thing God has made to describe himself and the, the warm affection, the love of God, all of the proper Christian feelings, if I can use that word, comes from the Holy Spirit. Let's continue in this, um, this vision here. Um, <clears throat> We're looking at the person of God and then focusing on the person of the Holy Spirit, who is God. And this is that aspect or portion of God. Look, brother, any one of you, this is an easy question. Who wants to volunteer for an easy question? None of you brothers really want to chance it. One of you can put your hand up. It's a really easy question. You'll get it right. Thanks, brother. Bless you. How many men are you, brother? Brother Dave, how many men are you? One. One man. See? Perfect answer. But he's got a mind. He's got a body. He's got a spirit. These are aspects of his person. But it's just one man over there, right? Thanks for being such a good sport, brother. He bailed me out. He was looking pretty bleak there for a while. It's one God. When we talk about the Spirit of God, we're talking about God giving an essence, part of Him, very self to us, all right? It's God. It's not something separate from God. Dave's spirit isn't separate from Him. I remember Pete Bart saying, If there's two of you, one of you is a demon. <laughs> you know, it's hard to argue with that. <laughs> right? Like, who's the other one, right? Uh, your spirit's not separate from you, right? It's essential to you. It's you. Um, so when God is, gives you his Holy Spirit, and this is a profound thing, and we, we're going to consider this more deeply. He's giving you himself. He's not just giving you a gift. He's giving you him. Incredible. Let's turn uh, briefly, Isaiah chapter 59. <clears throat> this uh, here. This, uh, and with, with this in mind, we're going to go back to Revelation here. Isaiah 59, verse uh, 15 tells us, you know, the state of things, truth faileth, he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. Verse 16, and he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate. And an helmet of salvation upon his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and so on. And it describes Messiah. The Lord saw. And so he, his arm brought salvation. And then he references Christ. 
We see that then in, in Revelation. In the midst of the throne and the four beasts stood a lamb as it had been slain. Remember the occasion here, right? In, John, in Revelation 5, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written, right? And it was sealed. And who is worthy to open the book? And I wept much because no one was found. And then he, one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book. And then he sees the lamb. And verse 7, he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And we see the same picture, Isaiah 59 Revelation 5. There was no one worthy to be an intercessor. So the Lord had to do it himself. There was none worthy to open the book. And so very God himself in the form of a lamb. He did it. It's not an angel. It's not a created being. It's a very essence and express uh, person of God. He did it. And we, I turned into Isaiah to show that Old Testament parallel. That... Um, when God sees that there's none worthy, no intercessor, then God himself is the intercessor in the form and person of Jesus Christ. Let's go back into John's Gospel, shall we? And we're, we're coming to focus then on the Holy Spirit. Uh, that aspect of God with which we directly engage. <clears throat> Let's go back to our sun analogy. The sun itself being a globe many, many miles from earth. And we have no access to that globe. We're separated in space and time. We can't get there. But that globe, in the irradiation of its heat and light, touches us and is right here with us. Our Father is in heaven, and by radiating, as we were giving us his Holy Spirit, he's right here with us. It's a picture. It's imperfect, as any picture is, but it gives us some idea. Let's look at this, shall we, in John chapter 14. The Holy Spirit, <clears throat> Jesus talking about this, right? Philip, we've, we've read about Philip, and Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Verse 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. While we're there, verse 15, let's just move briefly into chapter 15, verses 12 to 14. This is my commandment. That ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Authority, commandment, intimacy, friendship. What an amazing thing. <clears throat> so... If ye love me, keep my commandments. Now he's given us many commandments. Take no thought for the morrow. One of the commandments of Christ, Christian, is do not worry about material sustenance. Substance. Substance and sustenance. Don't worry about it. It's an express commandment of Christ. Don't be anxious for what you're going to eat. 
clothes to put on, the bodily necessities. Now we're told having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. So he hasn't promised us a car or any of those things. But he's promised to feed and clothe us. And he has expressly commanded us not to worry about them. And if we love him, then we will obey that commandment and not what you see how that works. There's many, many such things. Um, don't be covetous, right? Don't love money. Don't be angry at your brother. Forgive. and All kinds of commandments. You love the Lord, forgive everyone. See? If you love him, that's what you'll do. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now the greatest one is to love one another as I have loved you. So at least every Christian, because that's part of the one another, you'll... Yeah, yeah. You're never going to be put. Was the Lord Jesus ever well, like that disciple? Can you imagine? Peter, Thomas really bugs me. Now, can you, can you imagine the Lord Jesus? He's got his intimate three, right? I just can't stand Thomas. He's so negative. Can you imagine that? Can't even imagine the Lord thinking that, can you? Love one another as I have loved you. So that, be, that puts any negative feelings against any blood-bought child of God right off the table. Just like that. God. That clears out pretty nearly all church problems. Just one wave of the hand. Isn't the Lord amazing? He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And at the top of the list, love one another as I have loved you. Do you think of all? The Lord shares his most tender experience. And they're arguing about which one of them is the, going to be the greatest. And he didn't go around, you know. Those guys, you know. <laughs> he was never whispering. He was never grumbling. He was never... You can't talk to Peter. Like, he's just... You just can't get him. But like, none of that, right? None of that. It's just zero. Love one another. As I have loved you. Now when Peter was out of line. What did the Lord do? Confront him directly. Then and there. Isn't that right? With a view of setting him right. <clears throat> when Peter was ashamed. The Lord was like. Oh don't worry about it. Fear not. God's going to do great things with you. You're going to catch men. Love one another like that. Right? Um, so that's the greatest. But there are other things. Don't be worrying about money. Don't be seeking and coveting money. Seek first the kingdom of God. You love the Lord? Seek first his kingdom. So why, why am I saying these things? We're here in verse 15. We're going to go there. It's very important. If you love me, keep my commandments. And so as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you and I want to be as disciples. Lord, I want. Just be doing everything you say. It, you got this attitude of heart as a follower. We want to be there each day before God. You know, we open our Bibles and we read it. Lord, what now? What next? What do you want me to do? This is the disposition. This is what he wants from his disciples. He says, you're my friends if you do whatsoever I've commanded you. Think of it. Jesus Christ look at you and call you his friend. It's an if with that. If you do whatsoever I command you. And so as slaves. As bought from the filth of sin. He elevates. He washes. Cleanses. And says. Yeah I've purchased you. But more than slaves. You'll be my friends. 
if you do whatever I command you. Love one another. That's number one. Now all the others come from there. And so we approach our, our scriptures with that. And we approach God with this intent. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father. And he shall give you another comforter. That he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive. Because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him. But ye know him. For he dwelleth with you. Who is that dwelling with them? It's Jesus. And shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me. Because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know. That day is the day when you receive him. Ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself unto him. We'll keep on going down. Well, let's keep reading. Judas asked this question, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, brethren, that is a very thorough and profound description of what happens to believers. Let's look at it. Trace it out. If you love me, keep my commandments. This is the attitude of the disciple. Now, historically, the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. But even post-Pentecost, you want more of the Holy Spirit. Never mind the technical rightness or wrongness of that. You want more of the Holy Spirit? Then you and I want to come with an attitude. Lord, what are your commandments? I want to do them. I want to do whatever you say. More of you. There's a, there's a chorus that some have sung. Some like to sing. We don't sing it here. We don't know it. Uh, well, some of us know it, but most of us don't. You know, more of you. <laughs> you want more of God? This is the path. Keep my commandments. Not from, oh, what are the 613, but from a heart of love. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Like Mary to the servants. Just an attitude, oh Lord, I love you. You can see it in the psalmist. <laughs> As the heart panteth after the water brooks, you might turn to that son. My soul followeth hard after thee, the desire for God. And then looking at greedily, like a child with ice cream or something, at the commandments of Christ. And just, oh yes, I'm going to do that. Hallelujah. The Lord says, you know, you face a situation. The Lord says, don't worry about where you're going to get food from. Doesn't mean don't go and buy the groceries. Right? Don't, don't be anxious. Don't be 
Where? How? How am I going to eat? And that, you know, I mean, some of us were talking a bit about this. That is an antidote or, or a, 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 certainly sheds light on some things I, I've certainly shared about preparing for economic crisis. Look, we're not going to hoard up, you know, a year's supply of food and then ammunition to protect it from whoever. We're just talking about being prudent. Um, if things get so bad that nobody can buy food, none of us are going to survive. Isn't that your friend who said, as long as you got meat, I got meat. Remember? People, are, people that are starving are going to go berserk. It's, that's why a lot of the people that are hoarding food are hoarding ammo. We're not such. But a bit of prudence to help with the day-to-day when there are shortages and so on. That's what we're talking about. Get through. Um, if it gets to people starving, anything that we would have, we would share with others anyway. So we're not going to worry about that. Heavenly Father feeds us. And we approach this. Uh, we, we approach the commands of Christ with this keen attitude. And he says, I'm going to give you another comforter. So you've got me with you now as a comforter. I'm going to give you another comforter. The spirit of truth. But look what happens. He says, um, verse 18, I will come to you. When Jesus gives you the Holy Spirit, he's coming. It's him. And then it gets better yet. If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. You've got all of God. You've got Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in the Spirit, sealed with that Holy Spirit. God is bestowing himself. This is why Paul would pray that you should be filled with all the fullness of God. Before we go on, we'll look at this juncture. Some people, we're going to come back to this as well, I trust. We won't forget, we've got several things coming back to. Let's go back to Luke chapter 11. Verse 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? It's a child asking for food. Healthy, good, nutritious things to eat. So that they can be satisfied, their bellies are hunger pains taken away. And nutritious to make them strong and live. And uh, enjoyable. Good things. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. Now, <clears throat> I'm not going to sort this out. There is a long controversy or um, dilemma, difficulty in Christendom uh, over the centuries. Um, something, you know, it, it's like two works of salvation. The Pentecostals, modern day, they say first you get saved and you believe in the Lord Jesus and you get baptized. And then you need to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And it's two experiences. You get saved here and then you get baptized with the Holy Spirit. Some call the getting saved born again. Some call getting the Holy Spirit born again. Um, the Baptists will say, when you get saved, you get all the Holy Spirit you're going to get. And I'm quoting a Baptist pastor. Um, you've got the Wesleyans, you know, the, their holiness movement where you need a second work of sanctification. You know, they call it two works of... I, I'm amazed at people that only need two works of sanctification. But uh, I need a lot more works than that. Um, 
But, you know, there's two experiences. And part of this dilemma stems from the fact that Christians and Christian ministers have observed saved people who nonetheless have a very powerless Christian life. Both powerless to live victoriously and powerless to be effective in ministry. And they have tried to work this out. And then when you look at revivals where those people, then what happened? Were they not saved? And so it leads to this trying to explain it, you know. And then we have to systematize it and say, I'm not going to try and do any of that. Just going to say that if you and I need more of the Holy Spirit, this is the way. Be keen about the commands of Christ and ask your Heavenly Father. Because when you trust in Christ with all your heart, He seals you. And if you feel that seal needs more oomph on the stamp, then this is the way. Does that make sense, brethren? So we don't get tangled up in these theological conundrums. I don't read Paul and Peter saying, okay, now this, now over here. It's just they preached, people believed, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Why doesn't it happen like that in the tongues and the people being, well, our faith isn't what it, theirs was. And they were certainly earnest, much more so than us. And these could account for some of those things. <coughs> That's a good way to keep the preacher from going on too long. Make sure he has a cough and he can only stick it for so long. <coughs> mm. That's the thing for us, brethren. Let's just go for it. You believe on the Lord. He seals you with his spirit. Just think of the difference. I've said this before, and it's a great encouragement to me. Look up Peter's conversion experience, so to speak, right? When Peter received the Holy Ghost, he was speaking with tongues, the flame of fire on his head. He was hearing a mighty wind, all the glory. And then he stood up and preached like he had never preached. And 3,000 got saved. Top that testimony of getting born again. And then Paul, scales fell off his eyes. That's it. No tongues. No prophecy. Nobody got saved. But Wow. Look what God did through him. It was years of faithfulness. Before Paul was sent out on mission, he was the least teacher in a church. Barnabas was the chief of the prophets. And look what God did with Paul. Think what God can do with us little nobodies. And that's why I would say, brethren... Rather than getting bogged down trying to sort out theologically, oh, so, okay, so I've saved, but maybe I need to be baptized for the Holy Spirit. Okay, you, you ever met someone who gets tangled up in knots? Just, just, just go with your Bible. It's all God's idea. It's all God's initiative. It's all God's intention. He wants people to be filled with the Holy Spirit more than they want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> if you have a lack, ask your Heavenly Father. He's more generous than an earthly father. And he knows this is your very life's food you need. And you want him to come and dwell in you. Love the Lord. Keep his commandments. The greatest being. Love one another as I have loved you. I think we're in chapter 14 of John.
Yes, and we finished up verse 26. All right. The giving of the Holy Spirit then is the, the um, emanating aspect or part of God, if I can. I don't like to use the word part when we talk about God. Sticking with our Son illustration. The Son itself remains in its location, but it radiates itself everywhere. And so God imparts his Spirit, and his Spirit is Father, Son, and Spirit. As Jesus said, come and have fellowship, right? Um, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And his Godhead, his personhood, some say the Holy Spirit... Jehovah's Witnesses say this, is you know, an impersonal force like wind and water, God's force. But they are mistaken. <clears throat> Acts chapter 5. When dealing with Ananias, Peter says to him, Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. <clears throat> In uh, chapter 7 of Acts, and verse 51, Stephen rebukes the, the religious um, clergy there. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Actually, I'm not sure they're clergy, just devout. Um, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. Speaks, And we, we looked at um, the Holy Ghost made you overseers, right? In chapter 20, we looked at earlier. God. The Holy Spirit is God. And he, he is that aspect and person and being of God that is imparted to his children that brings us, brings the Godhead into us and it brings us into God. Now brethren, that is unspeakable riches. And I want to exhort us, don't be neglectful. If you and I had an experience um, initially that was much less than Peter's and an experience today that is much less than what we read in the New Testament, that is a cause for greater diligence, not apathy. It's a cause to say, Lord, I'm coming, not, I'm just never going to be much, so I'm not going to bother trying, so to speak. And by trying, I don't mean I'm going to be a Christian. I mean going after the Lord with all your heart. We've looked at the person of the Holy Spirit. Let's look a bit at his purpose, shall we? In, uh, <clears throat> I say a bit because it's almost time for us to go. Uh, I, I hope we haven't been <clears throat> long and dragging and boring. <clears throat> I find the subject exciting to me. John chapter 4, the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Jesus answered and said unto her, this is a woman at the well, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Verse 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst 
But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. John chapter 7. I'm going to read several scriptures, one after another. And the point will be manifest and we'll look at them. Verse 37, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. In case we didn't get it in John chapter 4, John explains it for us. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Psalm 42. We quoted it a little bit of it earlier. Psalm 42. Verses 1 and 2. As the heart, that's a dear kind of creature. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. <clears throat> Isaiah 44, verses 2 and 6. And I think these were, um, we looked at this passage when we were looking at the promise of the Spirit. But <clears throat> we will refresh our memories here. Isaiah chapter 44. <clears throat> Verses 2 to 6. Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed, and my blessing upon thine offspring. And uh, he goes on. We will leave the reading there. We're rushing now. Matthew chapter 5. And verse 6, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And back to one of our prayer chapters in Luke chapter 11, verses uh, 11 to 13. You know, we've talked about asking. Why Why do you ask for food normally? Easy question. You're hungry. All right? The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to satisfy the longing of the human heart for God and for righteousness. This is number one. Jesus said, if any man thirst, come unto me and drink. He didn't talk about um, you're going to be sanctified, you're going to be perfected, you're going to... He didn't talk about all those things that are important and good and right that the Holy Spirit will do. His first point to men and women... If you're thirsty, come and drink. Come and be satisfied. And I want to say on the authority of the word of God and my own lived experience is that the spirit of God satisfies thoroughly so that you have no need of anything or anybody else. And don't let anything persuade you otherwise. God cannot lie. And we are commanded Seek ye first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness. Now, the full soul, sorry, the, the hungry, to, to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. But the full soul loatheth the honeycomb. Remember that proverb? It's very important. It's a very important. Well, all the scriptures are very important. But whichever one's on the preacher's mind at the moment becomes very important, right? Well, that's how it is, isn't it? We've all heard that in preaching. <clears throat> the full soul loatheth on honeycomb. But to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Part of the reason Christians don't experience and have a communion of God is because they're full of other things. And so they don't hunger and thirst after Him. And when they hunger and thirst, they're just dissatisfied. When, when somebody's hungry, then they're usually not, I'm really hungry for steak. Or I'm really hungry for sushi. I don't understand those people, but never mind. <clears throat> They probably don't understand me, which, you know, I'm sympathetic to that. People just feel hungry. Then you might decide what you want to eat. We live in such a land of luxury and wealth. But you're hungry. You're dissatisfied. That's the issue. And people have a dissatisfaction. They're, they're hungry. And people often choose to fill their hunger with something other than God. And that's a problem. And Christian people do it. One aspect of that, Jesus puts it this way, and I don't know if you've ever made this connection. Thorns, right? Choke the word. Cares and pleasure. Just fill this inward state with busyness of cares and pleasures, and you quench your hunger, which is given to you by God, to move you to seek Him. You know, we are in Ephesians, <laughs> believe it or not. And... Let's look at some of these things in Ephesians. I think chapter 5. <clears throat> Verse 18. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Alright? Why do people drink? Lots of reasons. So, you know, that's a bit open-ended. You'll get it right, but maybe not the one I'm after. So I'll answer the question. Solomon tells us, right? It is not for the Olemuel to drink, not for kings to drink strong drink, right? Give strong drink to him that is ready to perish or sorrowful of heart. Let him drink and forget his troubles. People drink, forget their troubles. Is that right? They drink to have joy, happiness. Although I'm told it's a depressant, but what do I know? Be not drunk with wine. When you've got problems in life, don't turn to booze. Turn to God. That's the commandment. It's basic. When you've got something that's stressing you and pressuring you and, and whatever it is, turn to God. Not to other things. Don't be drunk. Why do you pick on wine? What people do? They want to be happy. They want to feel good. And well, I just, how am I going to give myself that spiritual pick? Well, start worshiping. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody. You want to be filled with the Spirit, get alone with Jesus. Lord Jesus, I love you. Just sing. Worship Him. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. 
Hallelujah. Meditate on all he's done. On the cross for all of us and what he's done for me. For you. And worship him. And be filled with his spirit. Regain, rekindle your fellowship with God. Brethren, these are things you and I have to do in real time for the life of God to flourish within. Neglect not the gift that's in thee, Paul wrote to Timothy. I know it had to do with ministerial things. But the principle is the same. If you're born of God, God is in you. Don't neglect him. You know, wives can often feel put out by their husbands because husbands are prone to neglect their wives. None of the sisters said amen because none of you sisters have husbands like that. Right, brothers? Hmm. But it's true. Parents can be neglectful of their children. And, and, you know, these human beings can... Look, Paul writes this. Now, I know it was in in respect to speech, but in chapter 4, verse 30, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. What an amazing word of grace. He did not say, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, lest he take off and you never get saved again. Threaten you with losing your salvation. That would be just. And that's how many of us think. He says, you're, sa- you're sealed unto the day of redemption. And as a saved person, you can grieve God and don't do it. And now it's in the context of bitterness and evil speaking and all of those things. They're grievous to God. But neglect is grievous to God. Isn't it? it? Don't neglect him. He has set his love upon you. And maybe I'll say this to, well, brothers and sisters. Look, don't guilt yourself. You moms especially, babies up in the night, you can't sleep when you you know, you, you can't keep your eyes open enough to do the dishes and now I've got to pray for two hours the pastor or the preacher's gonna just be out. No, no, no. It's not what we're talking about, right? You're doing your best, you're crying out to you're worshiping, and but I'm not having no, it's nothing like that, right? These guilt trips. But you and I know that sometimes we have whether it's five or fifteen or fifty minutes. That we really could just get alone and worship and love the Lord. And we waste it on something else. Okay? That's the thing. That's where we judge ourselves. Not you're doing your level best. And I have a heart for mothers. We, we homeschooled. I went off to teach other people's children. My wife stayed home to teach ours. I had, you know, in any given hour, several times more than she did. But I knew her job was more demanding. Emotionally. It's challenging, sisters. And, and you had to bring them into this world too and all the toll that takes on your body. And, and you know, you, you be short of sleep. Or brother, you work in night and day to feed your family. I'm not here to try and beat you up. But brethren, what do we do with the minutes and the moments we do have? That's the thing. Let us use that time with all our hearts. Look at the, as the deer panteth for the water brooks. This was a man that longed for God. Not a man. Meh. I'll just do this. I'll, I'll pray later. You see that attitude? Isn't that, doesn't that grieve God? God is a lover. We, we, we laugh. But it's a, good, it's a beautiful thing. You know, a young man in love. He's courting this girl. Or pre-courtship. I mean, we, we didn't have quite the guidance that so many of you have and, and had. So we kind of, you know, we didn't have as much oversight and so on. Right? And you 
you're trying to win this young lady's affection. So, oh, I just happened to be driving by, you know, 100 miles out of my way. And, and I, I just, just, there was a flower store by the thing. And I just, I don't know, I thought of you. So anyway, here you go, you know. Right? Listen to how young men, they're scheming, right? I'm going to win her heart. He's getting brains going. And just, hmm? How much more the desire for God? Paul would say, this one thing I do, I press toward him, That I may know him, right? Forgetting what's behind. I don't care what I've lost. That I may know him. Paul reminds me of a young man in love. Only Jesus is the object of his desire. We want more of the Holy Spirit. This is the way. Seek the Lord. Apathy. Be gone. Stomp on its ugly head. Light a fire in your soul of holy desire for God. Maybe we'll, wowee. we'll stop with that. To be continued. Number one though. Number one. With the Holy Spirit's purpose is to satisfy the giving of the Holy Spirit. And that's how Jesus advertised him. Come unto me and drink. Satisfy yourselves with that which is good. Delight yourself in God. Holiness, joy, righteousness, communion with the Holy One. Sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Let us give ourselves to this inestimable treasure to be continued let's pray father convicted myself as i consider these things but lord it prompts me stirs me want to go after you with everything yet a little while and he that shall come will come and will not tarry Oh, Lord, when we see thee face to face, when we hear the voice, the trump of God, when we're changed in the twinkling of an eye, Father, none of us want to be ashamed. We want to be found worthy, engaged, doing thy will lovingly from the heart, looking for thy coming. Oh, Father, quicken, renew, revitalize thy spirit within each one that we might live be about thy business. Father, we commend one another to thy loving care. Help each of us, Lord, to keep thy word in our hearts and bring forth fruit with patience. As we ask through our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.